One of the great teams of the early NFL in the 1920s was the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets that played around the city of Philadelphia. Uh, it was a time where they had some of the greatest players uh, playing the game of football at the professional level. And we have a great line of guests that are going to share it from our archives to tell the story of the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your place for all things great in sports history and your portal to positive football history. And we have some great football history today. You know, do you like to have what I call mashups? You know, when you go to the ice cream store and you say, hey, I want some chocolate. I want some vanilla. Hey, put that orange sherbet in there. How about some peanuts and chocolate sauce and you mash it all together. You mix it up and you make just a great tasty concoction. Something that's very entertaining, very fulfilling. Well, that's what we're going to do today with this little bit of football history where we look at the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. Gone back through the archives of our podcast and we have over a thousand podcasts in the last three years and thank you for being a part of it and sharing with us and listening and we're going to bring back some really good pieces of information from some of our guests that we had we're going to be talking to brian michaels who wrote the great eagles book and owns the scheib park apparel that makes a great uh, shirts down there in philly for the city of brotherly love fans we're also going to be talking to scott ferguson green a great football historian pfra friend of mine who who is an expert on Philly area football. He uh, really came to talk to us about the Union Club of Phoenixville, the Big Red, but they had a lot of association with the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, so we have some excerpts from him. We also have the great Upton Bell, whose uh, father, Burt Bell, had quite a connection, and his mother, uh, to the uh, Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. And we will also talk to our good friend, Mike Moran, who talked to us a couple years ago on the podcast about his very famous father who played on that Frankfurt Yellow Jackets team. So I guess, first of all, we'll go to Brian Michaels of Scheib Vintage Sporting Goods Store in Philadelphia and the author of the Philadelphia Eagles photo history book. And this is from a couple years ago when Brian told us the origins of the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. Talk a little bit about the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. Maybe, you know, where did they start from? You know, where was their early beginnings? Sure, sure. The Yellow Jackets or the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, um, you know, there's a couple, uh, I would say, two important parts about their origin. One, uh, the neighborhood of Frankfurt, uh, which is, you know, part of Philadelphia. It's just uh, kind of on the beginnings of the northeast part of Philly. And two, statewide, uh, we had uh, what were known as blue laws, which govern what people were allowed to do on Sundays, um, which were supposed to be reserved for worship. So those two kind of things are probably where we should start. You know, Frankfurt, um, I would probably compare it a lot to Brooklyn, 
right? It's kind of a city within a city. Um, it had a main street, Frankfurt Avenue, um, a lot of residential houses, row homes. Um, it was one of the earlier neighborhoods in Philly outside of Center City. So, you know, the city now is over a million people. A lot of it was still farmland at this time, the early 1900s. So, um, the, the neighborhood of Frankfurt had an athletic association. It started just in 1899 and um, it had members. You could pay, I think it was $10 a year to become a member and they fielded teams for football, baseball and soccer, right? So it was kind of a neighborhood organization and they um, were amateurs at first. Uh, but then uh, they started playing professionally. They would play um, particularly football. Um, they got really good at, but they would play a lot of local teams like uh, Jefferson Medical College students. Um, there were a lot of factories, so they would play the factory teams. Um, there were a few others, um, Atlantic City Rosies, Staten Island Stapletons, right? You may hear of some of these funk teams. Um, independent teams. So, you know, they started playing and they were good, right? Um, they adopted the name Yellow Jackets from uh, their colors, which were blue, yellow, and white, um, which are based off of the city flag colors, which in turn was based off of the Swedish flag colors. So that's kind of how the yellow uh, comes in. You can blame the Swedish settlers for that or thank them for it. Now, now, Brian, if I could just interrupt for a second. Now, what, what time frame are we talking? Is this sort of turn of the, the 19th century into the 20th century? Is that the time frame we're, we're looking at? Exactly. The yep. Okay. So okay. the, yellow, uh, the, the uh, Frankfurt Athletic Association started in 1899, and they played for about 20 years before, um, you know, getting some national attention. Right. Um, that's about when they um, started playing these independent teams, but also they would play against the NFL teams as well. Right. So the NFL was already in existence for a couple of years, mostly in the Midwest, um, but they would um, schedule games against them. And that was always a hallmark of the Yellow Jackets. They would schedule a lot of games primarily because of these blue laws in Pennsylvania, which again, limited what people could do on Sunday. So um, you couldn't drink or go to the bars, or you couldn't buy alcohol at the stores and you couldn't play professional football games or any professional games. So the Yellow Jackets were really forced to play all their games on Saturdays, right? One, that uh, was some competition with the college teams, which were actually really good at the time, Penn, Temple, Lafayette, Penn State. Um, but that also allowed them to then play away games on Sunday. Um, you know, so a lot of times a team would come into town, play the Yellow Jackets on Saturday, and both teams would ride the train back to the visiting city, play a replay on Sunday. Right. So uh, since the Yellow Jackets were forced to play on Saturdays, it kind of gave them a second day to play games, um, which, again, always gave them more um, games than most of their opponents. Um, so you have the Yellow Jackets playing on Saturdays. You also had the Pottstown Maroons um, that were not too far, just out of town. Um, the Blue Laws were a little less enforced there. Um, so if the uh, visiting team that came to Frankfurt weren't playing the replay against the Yellow Jackets the next day. A lot of times they would play a game against uh, the Pottstown Maroons on Sunday. 
um, which actually helped the Maroons too, because they were getting a team that just played back-to-back games a little softened up for them. So uh, <laughs> the Maroons have the Yellow Jackets to thank for a couple wins, um, but we'll get into that. And, you know, that's how the Yellow Jackets kind of got started. They were playing independent teams, NFL teams, a lot of games, and they were winning. You know, they started to professionalize a little bit in the 1920s. Players were getting paid, but, you know, certainly not much. So um, that was kind of the, the beginnings of it, of the team. That's great stuff. Now, Brian, maybe you could tell us a little bit about maybe some of the more important people uh, associated with this early team that helped start to get it going. Yeah. So to be honest, there there wasn't one person you know a lot of teams like the bears have palace and 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 lambo and the packers there wasn't one particular team and part of that was because or a person um the, the frankfurt athletic association was set up as a charitable organization so any money that they made um and over their costs right any profits were donated to charity so they would donate uh, to the orphanage, parks, um, building fountains, um, things like that. So a lot of the um, uh, organization was done by committee. Right? Okay. So there are a lot of committees, a lot of the board of the association. So the association ran the team. It wasn't like there was one single owner, um, again, like Marshall or, or Hallis or people like that. So you had this kind of committee. Now they did have um, a few representatives that lasted a while. Um, Shep Royal. Um, Shep Royal was the team president. Um, he was a volunteer. Again, he was kind of just the head of the committee, uh, but he was a local businessman. Um, he's the one who kind of signed the contracts and scheduled the games and, um, you know, would be the business manager of the team. So he, um, I think officially was president uh, the last couple of years, but he was always kind of there behind the scenes because again, it was a very kind of neighborhood community organization. Um, in, in 1926, when they were really looking to professionalize the team um, or actually 25, the yellow jackets hired Guy Chamberlain as player coach. Um, so he was really someone who propelled the team kind of to the next level, um, helped them really improve. Um, and like I said, professionalized the team based off of what he's learned in, uh, you know, other parts of, of coaching the NFL. I think he coached in Canton and Cleveland uh, mm-hmm. prior. Uh, great stuff from Brian. Now, let's listen in as Brian tells us about some of the key coaches and players for those early Frankfurt Yellow Jackets teams. Now, at first, there was a lot of local players, you know, from the neighborhood. Um, they did get folks um, from colleges, local colleges as well. Like I said, Penn was really good at this time. Um, Penn State, Lafayette, they were, you know, drawing um, 50 to 100,000 people uh, during these games. This was the real heyday of college football, not quite the pros. Um, but they did have a few other players. Guy Chamberlain obviously was a player and coach um, and a Hall of Famer. So he was um, pretty good himself. Um, Link Lyman, Link Lyman, um, who's probably more famous for playing with the Bears. Um, he was a Hall of Famer as well, offensive tackle out of Nebraska. Um, so he played for a long time. Um, 
but again, it's kind of uh, the Yellow Jackets didn't last very long. You know, their their main history is about, you know, or their NFL history is 1924 to 1931. Right. So it's really only about six, seven years in there. Um, so they had a lot of guys coming in and out. Right. You know, free agents, if you will. Those are some big names in football history. But we have another big name in football history, and we get to go as close to the source to hear about him as we can. And we have our friend Mike Moran that joined us a couple years ago to talk about his father, the very famous Hat Moran, and his time with the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. And I guess more specifically, how he became associated with the Yellow Jackets. Mike, tell us all about it. And then I guess I don't I don't know all I have the letter that his football coach at Grinnell wrote to um, the coach of the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets uh, recommending him as a player, but I don't know the mechanism of that. I mean, he had been some big runs in college. He was he got listed in the NCAA guide as like the. They have this thing of great runs from 1869 to 1926. And he's like on the first, you know, maybe he's number 12. I don't know. He had some big run backs that always got, um, uh, re- the stories got retold in every biography or, uh, you know, a little blurb they'd write about him. Right. And uh, so I got a chance with the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, which was the Philadelphia franchise before the Eagles. Yeah, yeah, so uh, that's that's that was the progress there. Well, what a what a tremendous year to go to the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets in 1926 because uh, they had a pretty good season that year. You know, and I think I'm not sure if it was 25 or 26 that they brought Guy Chamberlain as their coach. It might have been the year before. But I mean, a lot of people never heard of Guy Chamberlain, but Guy Chamberlain was like the, you know, the Bill Belichick of the 20s. He was, he had been on the original Decatur Staley's with, um, with Hallis before it was the Bears. He was the coach of the Canton team. He won uh, in the first 10 years of the NFL. I think he won five of the championships uh, or was involved with five championship teams. So Chamberlain, uh, he pulled it all together in 26 and they, they won the NFL title that year, but, uh, the NFL title back then was determined by your winning percentage. They had no, uh, championship playoff game. So it was, uh, a little different and there was no money in, (laughs) you know, you didn't get a big ring. My father did get a watch, but, uh, uh, yeah, they had the best record in the NFL. And, and the big game was uh, they, they, uh, they and the Bears were pretty closely, uh, had pretty close percentage numbers when the Bears came to Philadelphia to play, the, play them. And they won that game. Uh, my father was injured. He was in the game a little bit. But uh, one of the stars of the game was a guy from Gonzaga, named Houston Stockton. Who's Stockton? His grandson, John Stockton. Uh, you know, and and uh, so there's a little athleticism in that family, but yeah, they, so. they won the NFL championship that year. Yeah, now I guess if I remember correctly, didn't they, uh, the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets winning the, the NFL championship, 
And they had the rival league, the Red Grange uh, original AFL was going on, and the Philadelphia Quakers, which, uh, for, you know, Frankfurt is just a suburb of, of Philadelphia, basically. And the Quakers were the, the champions of the AFL. And they, you know, I think it was in the press and the media, they wanted to have these two teams play to see who was the best in the nation. It didn't come to fruition, but they did end up having an exhibition game, Frankfurt did, against the New York Giants. Is that, that correct? No, no. Uh, the Quakers did. The Quakers did. Okay. That's the, Quakers right. the Quakers ended Quakers up did. having a game, and they got whipped solidly. And then the, uh, the Yellow Jackets had whipped the Giants solidly. So, Well, thanks, Mike, for that. Now, Brian, let's go back to you. And I know you have some information of what some of the locals and uh, the journalists of the area were saying about Hap Moran. And they mentioned, I think the sports writer at the time, um, you know, they were really loquacious in writing. They wrote, um, he was like a star let down from the planet Mars with plays that the poor fish of the earth knew nothing about. Right. <laughs> so imagine this, uh, he was a halfback, you know, dazzling the sports writers at the time. It was a real, of course, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust at this time. Um, but, you know, there were some players that that made uh, a name for themselves. Now, these are truly some great players we've talked about already. Now we're going to bring in our friend Scott Ferguson Green that's going to tell us about a few more players of the Yellow Jackets of Frankfurt. One of the other players that were that was played for the team was Swede Youngstrom, and he was a guard, um, a good size. Uh, he played for not only Union Club of Feeding Soap, but he also played for the Buffalo Americans. He was one of those players that took a train up to Buffalo after the game on Saturday, took a train up to Buffalo and played for the Buffalo All-Americans on Sunday. He also played for the NFL champion Frankfurt Yellow Jackets in 1926. And so that was another talented player that um, Leo Conway was able to recruit. Now, Brian Michaels, I believe you had a couple more players you want to talk about that uh, sort of rounds out these great rosters of Frankfurt. Doc Bruder, Texas Hammer, uh, Two Bits, Homan, Two Bits because he was only uh, 5'5", also uh, claims to have started the touchdown uh, dance, Two Bits, Homan, the first person uh, to uh, have a touchdown dance. Uh, we also had Jug Earp, Pi Way. Uh, Swede, Youngstrom, Wookie Roberts. All right, we don't want to leave out any of these big-time players that played for the Yellow Jackets. Uh, Scott Green, I believe, had one more player that he wanted to talk about that played on that roster. Absolutely. Um, Lou Little was another famous uh, tackle from the uh, University of Pennsylvania who who actually um, was someone who was really recognized as one of the premier tackles in the league. Um, he also played for the pre-NFL Frankfurt Yellow Jackets before they entered the NFL. Um, as I mentioned before, Lud Ray was also from um, the University of Pennsylvania. And like I mentioned previously, he was a co-founder of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, Wow, those are some of the, the big names in pro football back in that era. No wonder Frankfurt was uh, so good in a, a couple-year period. Now, I guess, uh, Brian Michael, let's go back to what he said and told us about the 1924 and 1925 seasons of the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. 
Yeah, and actually leading up to the 26 season, you know, the 24 and 25 are, are pretty interesting too. Um, like I said, the Yellow Jackets were good. The NFL wanted them. Um, they came into the league in 1924. Um, they finished the first year with a record of 17-3-1. and And if we tabulated um, the, uh, the winning percentages like we do currently, they would have actually won the season that year. Um, they had an 11-2 record against NFL teams, right, through 14 games. Uh, but most of the other NFL teams only played 9 or 10 or 11 games. So like I said, their uh, ability to play more games – gave them better winning percentages just by the fact that they, you know, had more games under their belt, even though, you know, a team like the bears who they lost to twice that season had a lower winning percentage at the end of the year. Now the NFL that year said they were stopping game. Uh, they were determining the winner on November 30th. Um, and based off of that, the bears uh, won uh, the league that year, right? I think Cleveland and the bears, um, both finished above them actually. So again, you see the yellow jackets coming into the league, playing a lot of games, winning a lot of games already kind of stirring up some controversy. Now they didn't beat the bears. The, the Hallis's bears were, were still always good, but you know, they, they kind of made a splash in their first season. Um, and I think that was important for them and, and for the NFL to have that East coast uh, franchise that, that they could come back to. And, you know, in 1925, you had Pottsville um, around as well. The Pottsville Maroons, which is just, you know, probably, I would say, 30, 40 miles outside of the city. Um, as I mentioned before, they would usually get teams on the return leg of a, a, playing Frankfurt on a Saturday. They would come to play Pottsville on, um, on, uh, on Sunday, right? So Pottsville was good that year. Right. They were, I think, five and one and the Yellow Jackets beat them partway through the season. They beat them, uh, I think, 20 nothing. So pretty handedly. And at that time in 1925, um, a, a promoter came up with the idea that whichever team wins Pennsylvania would then play an all star game against uh, Notre Dame. Right. It would be this kind of promotional game at the end of the year, um, the, the best team in Pennsylvania versus Notre Dame All-Stars. Uh, the Yellow Jackets said, sure, makes sense. You know, we just crushed Pottsville. Um, so let's do it. Well, it turns out that a couple of weeks later, after the Yellow Jackets, who again now played three games in five in four days it was thanksgiving they played on thanksgiving then they played on saturday and then now they're playing pottsville maroons on sunday well the maroons crushed them in return uh doubly 49 nothing right so pottsville ended up beating the yellow jackets and then kind of winning the city championship unofficial city championship which meant that they would play the Notre Dame All-Stars. Now, this game was set to take place in Philadelphia. And at this point, the Yellow Jackets, who also had a game scheduled on that day, said, we don't want this exhibition of Pottsville and Notre Dame taking place on the same day in our city, right? We have certain territorial rights granted by the NFL. So they petitioned the NFL uh, to cancel the game. Uh, they said, 
they told Pottsville, you're not allowed to play this game. And Pottsville went ahead and played it anyway. So what happened was that the NFL then um, basically vacated Pottsville's season, right? They would have won the championship, but because they played this game that they were forbidden to play, um, the championship was taken away and given to the Chicago Cardinals. That's some pretty outstanding play there. But I guess not to be outdone, Brian, uh, you told us a little bit about the 1926 season, too, when they were sort of at their best. Because around the same time, um, a rival team uh, started in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Quakers of the AFL. And they played down at Sesquicentennial Stadium or, or Municipal Stadium. It was built for the World's Fair. It was like a 100,000-person stadium, later renamed JFK Stadium. That's where they had Live Aid. Um, so you had a new team in town playing at this even bigger stadium, drawing more people. So people started talking about um, the Quakers, right? But, you know, the, the Yellow Jackets weren't too deterred. Yes, they were pulling some fans away. Um, but the Yellow Jackets were always behind the eight ball. The blue laws made them play on Saturdays, which meant competing against the college teams. Um, but they took that head on. And the 1926 season uh, was their best season ever. Uh, they finished 14-1-1. They had 11 shutouts. Um, they scored 28 touchdowns. And opponents scored six, right? Um by the same token, they only had three road games that year. Um, so I think home field advantage uh, certainly helped. Uh, but again, they played more games uh, than most teams. They were already playing a 16-game schedule back then in 1926, right? They, again, were steamrolling through the, the uh, league, actually not, not over the province, uh, Providence steamrollers themselves. That was one of the games they lost that year, but the only game they lost that year. They were in a good shape, you know, heading into the end of the season. Um, on Thanksgiving Day, they beat Curly Lambeau's Packers, and they finished the season again, 14-1-1, kind of cruised to the uh, league title. That is a great season to have, especially when you you play like that. Now, there were some events that happened after that great year for the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets in 1926. And Scott Ferguson Green had some information to share with us about that. As the owner of the Philadelphia Quakers of Red Grange's American Football League, because he couldn't get his team into the NFL, so he decided to join Red Grange and CC Piles. AFL, and he owned the Philadelphia Quakers, and lo and behold, some of the players that he had that were on the Phoenixville team and the Union Quakers of Philadelphia ended up being the AFL champions of 1926. And um, at that particular time, they actually challenged the NFL champion, Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, to see which team would be the best team between the AFL and the NFL and especially the championship of Philadelphia, which, you know, for a lot of football fans of Pennsylvania, that was more important. But the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets declined to play um, the Philadelphia Quakers. And so Leo Conway arranged for a game between the Philadelphia Quakers, the champions of the AFL, and the New York Giants. I think it would have been really cool for um, the Philadelphia Quakers to play the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, since Frankfurt was a section of Philadelphia. And to have that NFL AFL championship game as such, but 
truly a tr epic year 1926 was for the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets franchise. But they went on beyond that and uh, still had some good football left in them. Uh, Brian Michael, uh, why don't you tell us about what happened after that 1926 season? Yeah, so the, the 1926 season was huge for the Yellow Jackets. Uh, they won. Um, the next year wasn't so great. They finished 6-9-3. and three. Uh, The following year was a little bit better, 11-3-2, and two, uh, but they still finished second place. You know, this was the, the veterans were starting to get older. Some of them were starting to leave at this point. And then around 1930, um, certainly the Great Depression uh, was here, and it really hit the team hard, right? They finished four 13 and one, right? And also they were losing money. And then to cap it all off, just before the 1931 season, there was a fire at their stadium. So they weren't able to play any of the home games at Frankfurt. They had to play at the Baker Bowl, which was the Phillies home ballpark in North Philadelphia. And then they also played at Municipal Stadium uh, all the way down in South Philly, uh, later named JFK Stadium. Um, which was certainly too big for them. But once the fire hit, they really, uh, it really hit the team hard. They were never able to stabilize their finances. They tried to sell the team, sell the franchise, uh, but they didn't find any buyers for it. So they eventually folded and the NFL um, bought back the franchise rights for Philadelphia. And, and from there, that's where the Eagles story starts. Ah, uh, yes, the origin of the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, Upton Bell uh, joined us uh, early on in our podcast, probably about three years ago, to, and he had a great episode where we talked about his father, the late Burt Bell, who uh, ended up uh, having an important uh, milestone moment along with his wife, uh, Frances Upton, uh, which is Upton's mother. And they were you know, newlyweds. Uh, they just had suffered through the Great Depression, but they had a little bit of cash to spend because uh, Miss uh, you know, Upton, uh, uh, Frances Upton Bell had uh, you know, was having a great uh, career uh, being on Broadway and things in despite the depression where her husband Burt Bell lost a lot of his wealth they uh, made a, a major investment took a, advantage of uh, some downtimes for the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets and uh, let's hear what Upton had to say what his parents did when the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets were in bankruptcy in 19 I think 34 35 uh, they both of them went to the bankruptcy she put up the money, I think it was $3,200, to buy the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. And on their way back from the bankruptcy, they were walking by a sign that showed the National Recovery Act, Frank and Delroe Roosevelt's National Recovery Act Eagle. And that's how you found the Eagles, because he said, that's going to be the name of the team. And there you have it. That is sort of the uh, expedited version of the history of the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. Uh, we want to thank, uh, going back in the archives, thanking Brian Michaels and Upton Bell and Scott Ferguson Green, as well as Mike Moran and uh, many of the, the people that uh, helped us 
put this together. And, uh, you know, it's great to go back and look at the past and especially our past of our archives that we have in the wealth of uh, the podcasts and information on Pigskin Dispatch and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast. We hope you enjoyed this little display. We're going to try to do some of these in the future uh, where we have some great guests that talked about the same subject. Just look at some different points of view and learn a little bit of something in a collective effort to tell the history. And this time, the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. Hope you enjoyed this. We thank you for joining us. And until uh, next time, everybody, have a great, great Iron Day. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.